Genesis chapter 42, verse 29. Now we're, uh, I'm going through a series of sermons on and off. Uh, I'm skipping a Sunday here or there, but we're doing a series of sermons on Joseph. On Joseph and the, and the life of Joseph. And there's a lot of stuff we can glean out of the life of Joseph. And his brothers just came down and they uh, come down for the first time and they meet Joseph. Joseph's pretty rough with them. He's, he's kind of mean to them. He throws Simeon into jail and he says, uh, until you bring back your brother, the youngest one, Benjamin. He don't call him Benjamin, but that's who he's referring to. He goes, don't come back and see me. Don't come back and see me. So as they left and they, they, come, they, they get their sacks of corn that they had bought off of Joseph and the Egyptians, they get down and they get basically, they get out of town and they get to the inn, to the local motel, we would say, the hotel, and they open up their sacks of corn and lo, there's money in there. The money they gave for the corn was back in the sack. And they said in verse, at the end of verse 28, it, that we closed this out the last time I was preaching on this, and they said in verse 28, what is this that God hath done unto us? They see God's hand moving and they, uh, they were, uh, whenever this first started happening to them, now note, and you remember this, because you've got to keep this in mind, I know you, you've not forgotten this, but they don't know this is Joseph. They think this is just some Egyptian lord that's ruling over them and being mean to them, and they have no idea, but the first thing that happens whenever this all starts happening to them is they remember the past sin they did, what they did to Joseph. And they know that God is paying them back. They really believe that with all their heart. And they also know that whenever this stuff happens to them, it's not just by chance. It's not just, oh, look, lucky me or unlucky me. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is, what has God done to us? In other words, they're giving credit to God's hand and God's hand moving in their life. He moves in your life for good, and when his left hand moves, it's for bad. When his left hand moves, it's for bad, and when his right hand moves, it's for good. Uh, all through the Bible, all through the Bible, the right hand of God is always associated with Jesus Christ and with salvation and with something really, really being a blessing. You never hear the mention of the left hand of God, but whenever the left hand of God is moving, that's like him allowing Satan to come move in your life. So they acknowledge that. What is this that God had done unto us? So we're picking it back up. We're picking it back up at verse 29. Picking it up back up at verse 29. And they came unto Jacob, their father, into the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell them, saying, the man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are not no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that you are no spies, but that you are true men. So will I deliver your, you, your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. Now notice it says traffic. That's an old archaic word. But we use that word every day in America. As a drug, there's drug traffic. There's the liquor traffic. So even though that's an archaic word, it's still used in the modern day English. And, and that's, a lot of people get the mistake, have the mistake of saying that the, the King James Bible is difficult. The King James Bible is not difficult. It's different. That's different words. I said two different words. It's not difficult, it's different. Yes, it is different, and it makes it different, but once you get accustomed to it, it's actually easier. And there's do documented scientific proof it's on a lower reading, le reading level than like an NIV, and people don't understand that. And the reason why, let me tell you, the reason why the King James Bible is on a lower reading level is because the King James Bible uses more one-syllable words than all the other versions you can get out there. They use more one-syllable words. I'll give you an example of the verse there in John. 
or, uh, yeah, John, where he says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now that hath, we don't use that word. But we know, we know that means have. You, you can tell that hath is have, or you have it. So hath, and that's a one-syllable word. But when you, you, you can figure that out. There's some archaic word in there, hath, but with, with it being one syllable, he that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. See, those, those haths, all those one-syllable words makes it easier to read. So what uh, Joseph's saying here is Joseph's saying, uh, I want to see my brother. And I want to see him, and the way I'm going to get to see him is make them bring him back down here to me. And I'm not going to reveal myself, but I'm going to get them, and this is how he's going to do it. Because he wants to see, because his brother, his brother is his full brother. They share the same mom and the same dad. Everybody else is just half-brothers. Verse 35, and it came to pass as they emptied their sacks that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, because he's back in Egypt, and you will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And it does seem that way. Sometimes in this life, it seems like everything's going against you, that God's against you, your family's against you, but that's just not true. It's just a situation you're in. You're in that chapter of your life that's not a very good chapter. Now, what I mean by that is, is God loves to tell a good story. God loves to tell a good story. And what he'll do in your life, and, and, and like every good story you've ever seen on, in a movie or in a book, it's got good parts, it's got bad parts. A good story is not everything happened, happening good. That's a fairy tale. What a good story is, is there's drama, there's suspense, there's things happening, there's good things, there's bad things, but mostly it's bad. And then at the end, everything turns out good. We all love a happy ending. And for a Christian, it don't matter how bad you are, if you're laying in the bed about to die of cancer, it's going to end good for you. God's got a good ending for you in heaven. So that's not the end. The death is not the end. Actually, death is the beginning for every born-again believer. We need to always remember that. So verse uh, 37, I'm going to read these verses and then we'll pray. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in the which, which he go, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. With sorrow to the grave. And I want to preach this morning on Joseph and his requirements. Joseph and his requirements. So back up at verse 37, it says, And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you. Jacob does not trust Reuben. Jacob, his father, does not trust trust Reuben. He just doesn't trust him. As a matter of fact, when Jacob's laying on his deathbed, Israel's laying on his deathbed at the end of Genesis in Genesis chapter 49, he goes through every one of his sons and he prophesies about each one of his sons. And when he, he come, he, Of course, Reuben being the, the oldest, he starts with Reuben and he says, Reuben, you're as unstable water. You're as unstable water. What that is is where we get the saying today, he's wishy-washy. He's wishy-washy. And he doesn't trust Reuben. Uh, your father knows you better than anybody else. Amen. Your heavenly father knows you better than... You might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool your pastor. You might be able to fool your Sunday school teacher, your wife, your husband. 
You might be able to fool whoever's around you, some of your best friends, but you can't fool God. God knows you better than anybody else. And Israel knows Reuben better than anybody else. He says, uh-uh, you're, <laughs> there's no way. There's no way my son should not go down with you. He just flat doesn't trust him. And listen, that's because of his testimony. Reuben's testimony. Reuben had got in and was sleeping with his dad's, uh, some of his dad's concubine. Uh, he doesn't trust Reuben. And I'm going to tell you as a Christian, guys, that what that speaks to is you need to cherish your testimony. You need to understand you've got a testimony before the world and before other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to take care of that testimony. It's very, very important to you. Because your testimony is going to allow you to do some things in this life that would, would open doors for you. And your testimony is going to close doors for you. you uh, this idea, and then people get this idea, you think once saved, always say, of course I think that. I don't, I don't think that. I believe it because that's what the Bible teaches. But I also, I also believe that we got a testimony and that your testimony, you, you can do one thing wrong in this life and it will affect you the rest of your life. One sin would ruin your testimony or ruin something you could do for the Lord and ruin the rest of your life. Now, you're still going to heaven, but this life that you're living in, this life right now, is be ruined. One little thing. So you've got to keep a testimony. It's very important to, to stay out of sin, to keep yourself clean, and try to uh, do what's right by the Lord because there's a payday someday. Amen. There is a payday someday. Chapter 43, verse 1. Let's move on. And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought up out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. So now things are getting tight again. It doesn't really tell you how long it has been, but you assume it's been for sure months and months and months. Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did Solomon protest unto us, saying, Ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And if thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. So they remind Jacob, Israel, they say, hey, uh, we can't go down unless we bring Benjamin. There's no way. Verse 5, but if thou wilt not send him, talking about jo jo Joseph tells him, if you won't bring back Benjamin, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, ye shall not see my face except your brother be with you. He said, you're not coming down. We can't come down here because Joseph, that, now he didn't say Joseph, but Joseph, who we know is Joseph, that leader over in Egypt, that lord over in Egypt, he said, if you don't show back up with, Joseph, with Benjamin, don't show up at all with your younger brother. That's a great type, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God the Father. If you don't show up in front of the Father's presence with Jesus Christ, don't show up at all. And he's real specific about that. It's, it's a type of Jesus Christ being the only way. You better not show up to God the Father by yourself. And you better not show up to God the Father. Do you, can you imagine showing up to God the Father, dying and taking, and show up to God the Father and look over to your right-hand side and there's Muhammad standing next to you? <laughs> oh, come on, get out of here. You say, I did less sin than that guy did. You want to show up to God the Father with Jesus Christ at your right hand. And that's what this is a type of. Benjamin becomes Jesus Christ in this type. And, of course, Joseph becomes God the Father. Jesus Christ said, he said, No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's right. I didn't say that. Jesus Christ said he's the only way. So they knew that another brother would not do. See, you could say, well, uh, if Benjamin's a brother. How about send, send Reuben, send uh, 
let's, let's, send, uh, let's send one of the other brothers down there. Just pick one. Take Dan. Take, get, no, 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 no. No other brother will do. It's only one brother, and it's Benjamin. It's got to be that one. And it's the same way with Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So uh, I, this, is not a, this is not some idea that Brother Keegan came up with. This is what Jesus Christ said. And these tops are in here showing that you've got to have the right one when you come before God the Father. It has to be a Jesus Christ. None other will do. Verse 6, and Israel said, Israel said, that's Jacob. This Israel's, Israel's given name by God, which is Prince of, Prince of God. Israel, that's another name for Jacob, said, Wherefore dealt, dealt ye so ill with me as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother? And they said, uh, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have ye another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? So Jacob and Israel, and you know, Jacob, Israel gets on to him and says, Why'd you even mention Benjamin? Why'd you even mention Benjamin? What are you, what were y'all thinking? And he said, How do we we didn't know? He, he just asked us these questions, and what, one of the questions he says, Do you have another brother? And Joseph knows that they have another brother. He wants to know about the father. He wants to know that because that's his father. They, they don't get it. They don't, it's, it's over their head. And this is what, what you need to understand at, at the end of verse 7. It says, could we certainly know that he would say, bring your brother down. God doesn't tell you everything he knows. Amen. Joseph didn't tell them everything he knows. He kept it to himself. Jesus Christ didn't tell his disciples everything he knows. As a matter of fact, he told them many times, said, you can't handle what I know, and I'm not going to tell you right now, but there will come a time that you'll know. And So God doesn't tell us everything he knows. But the mistake people make is people make the mistake that they're on equal level ground with knowledge of God the Father. They think that they have as much knowledge as God. And, and you know, it's, it's stupid enough to think you're smart as God, that's, that's stupid in itself. But these people sometimes start thinking that they're on equal grounds with the knowledge that God's had. That's why I'm saying sometimes God does some mysterious things and we don't understand it. But we as Christians understand, you know, I don't understand it, but God's got, he's, omnip he's all knowing, he knows everything. I'm going to leave it in his hands because he's God and he knows all that. And that's why I'm saying God. When, I, when you say God, you're saying he is all knowing, he is all powerful, he's everywhere. And so uh, they make the mistake of trying to put themselves on equal level of God. So what happens is they say something. They say something or you ask a question to God or you say something to God and he doesn't give you an answer means that he's not around. That's, what they, that's where this goes. This is where, I, where we're going with this. As an atheist will say, I question God and he didn't give me the answer. Well, because he don't have to give you the answer. That don't mean he doesn't have the answer. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? You ask the question and he doesn't answer you doesn't mean he doesn't have the answer. He just doesn't want to answer you. Amen. He's God the Father. He can do what he wants to do. And he doesn't mean he has the answer. He is the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate authority of power. He doesn't have to answer you. Amen. He, has the ultimate, he is the ultimate in authority and power and God the Father does not have to answer you. 
You see this in the courtroom. You have a, 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 you have a defendant come in and the defendant might be sentenced by a judge and as soon as he's been, the, the jury gives him a guilty verdict, the, the defendant will start saying, why did you not do this? And he'll start screaming out at the judge and the judge, the judge doesn't even answer. He just <laughs> drops the gavel and that guy's drug out of the courtroom. The judge doesn't have to answer because <laughs> the judge is the higher authority. And that guy's going to be drug out of here and thrown in prison or whatever they got for him. The point is, is that's the way that God the Father is with us. When he gives you an answer, that's called grace. Amen. And you've got to grab a hold of that. He doesn't have to answer you. He doesn't have to do anything for you. He can do whatever. He has the ultimate. When you get pulled over by a cop and a cop's giving you a ticket, you can berate him. You can call him all kinds of names. But all he's going to do is give you a ticket and walk off. He doesn't have to answer any questions to you. He's got the authority over you. And when God the Father doesn't answer your question or doesn't give you an answer like you like, that doesn't mean he doesn't have the answer. That just means he doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> he does, that just what that simply means. And what they found out is that Joseph knows more than they do. They might not realize it, but later on they, real, they realized it. An atheist falls into this trap, brothers and sisters. What happens is an atheist falls in this trap. God doesn't answer them. God doesn't act the way they think he should act. Therefore, because they're smarter than God, they have more knowledge than God, he must not, there must not be a God. Because God don't answer me, there must not be a God. And you've all heard that about atheists, and I've actually heard one saying, well, I don't believe in God. If there's really a God, let him strike me dead. You know, they'll say stuff like that. If there's really a God, you know, this, that, and you know, everybody moves away and waiting for the lightning. And what's amazing is I've heard people say that kind of stuff, and I've never seen lightning come down. Not yet. <laughs> I wouldn't trust it, but I'm just saying, I've never seen lightning come down. I haven't either. I've never seen lightning come down, but I still believe in God. Now, they still don't believe in God. What's the, what's the answer to that, Brother Keegan? Well, God, they, God doesn't have to answer them. God can do and answer. He'll, he'll answer them, but won't we when they want to be answered. He'll wait till they're dead, their souls out of their body, they're resurrected, and they're standing there naked before him in the front of the whole universe. That's when he'll start answering them. And he'll say, did you not say that I didn't exist? Oh, but, 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 I, I, I didn't really mean that. You know, I was just joking. Did you not say you wanted me to strike you with lightning if I existed? Oh, well, you know, I was just, I just joking around. You know, I was just, I was just joking around, God. Mm hmm he has the answer, but it's not what you're going to want to hear. It's not what you're going to want to hear. Atheists, they tend to act uh, to God like teenagers act to their parents. When, uh, if a teenager doesn't get the right answer from the parent or doesn't get the answer they want from the parent or the parent don't do what they want to do, then the parent's not a good parent. The parent hates them. The parent don't hate That's the way atheists are. They just tend to be just like teenagers. That's why most of the atheists that I know tend to be younger people. They tend to be teenagers up through their 20s. Uh, atheists tend to act like children. They, think, they tend to think that if they'll just lift up the covers when the, bo when, the boogeyman's, when the boogeyman's in the room, if they'll just hide their face and, and they can't see the boogey, boogeyman and the boogeyman can't see them. That's how they tend to act. My wife was showing me, was watching America's Funniest Home Videos and there was a kid and they were playing hide and seek and the dad had the video camera and he's like, where is my son at? And he went into the bedroom and the son had his head shoved in between the mattresses on the, <laughs> on the, on the bed and his whole body was sticking out and the dad's like, I sure, I don't know where he's at. Where could he be? And that kid, you know, this is like a kid. He can't, I can't see him, so he can't see me. That's you, atheist. That's you, atheist. 
You got, your, you got those covers pulled up. It might be the covers of science. It might be the covers of philosophy. It might be the covers of your own, you think your own brain's God. Whatever it is, your self-doubt, you got those covers pulled up and you say, well, see, I can't see God, so he's not there. That monster's not in the room. And what's going to happen one day, those covers, there's going to be a hand pull those covers back and God's going to say, peekaboo. Peekaboo. Here I am. What I like about my God is, he says there in Deuteronomy, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, he says, when I pay you back, I'm going to pay you back face to face. Amen. See, our God isn't the one that's going to be on the other side of the universe and say, oh, here you go, I'm going to send lightning, and then I'm going to make you go down into hell. No, God says, I'll be looking at you face to face when I throw you into hell. You're going to answer to me face to face. What'd you say about me? Oh, God, I, I, I didn't mean that. You know, I, how was I to know? I, I sent you, you know. You know, I sent you my people over and over again to warn you, and you wouldn't take it. You know, I've been having to deal with a lot of atheists, so this stuff's really heavy on my heart, but I was uh, reading about this preacher that went into this, uh, I think it was a restaurant, it might have been kind of like a bar. This was back in the late 1800s, and he, he was talking to some people about Jesus, trying to get some people saved, trying to lead them to the Lord. And there was an atheist in there, and the atheist kept on yelling out, It's not true. There is no God. There is no God. And that preacher went over there, and he says, You know, uh, the Bible says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. That's what the Bible said. And that preacher turned to that guy, and that guy kind of got red-faced a little bit, and the preacher said, You're a bigger fool than the fool out of the Bible. And that guy kind of got redder faced and he looked at that preacher like he's going to hit him. He said, you're a bigger fool because the Bible says the fool said in his heart. You're saying it in front of everybody for everybody to see how big a fool you are. Yeah, that's the truth. We got a lot of big fools running around in this country spouting off stuff they know nothing about. They know nothing about. I, I'm thankful to the Lord for that. That we have uh, people like us that are standing up for Jesus Christ. God one day is going to say, peekaboo, peekaboo. Verse 8, and Judah, and Judah, let's move on. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him, of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me uh, bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land and the, your vessels, and carry down the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand, and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carried again in your hand. Peradventure, it was an oversight. So he, uh, Judah steps up. Judah says, I'll take his place. I'll take him down there. I'll take him down there for you. And he's talking to Jacob, and Jacob says, okay, if you're going to go down there, take a bunch of presents, let's get all the stuff together, and take a double portion of the money, take the money that came back the first time that was in y'all sacks of corn, take that, and let's take another portion of that, and let's, uh, just in case there was an oversight, verse 12, and then verse 13, he says, take also your brother, that'd be Benjamin, and arise, go again unto the man. And God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your other brother, that'd be Simeon, and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I am bereaved. Now, there's lots of great types. There's lots of great types in here. There's lots of great types. The first type is that Judah, Judah didn't speak up the first time. Now, remember, we read this, and it was back in chapter 42. Reuben spoke up, and Reuben says, hey, I'll go. I'll go. And, and Jacob says, there's no way. I don't trust you. 
Well, Judah didn't step up. And he could have stepped up. Now, months and months later, we don't know if it's a year or two later. We don't know. I mean, I, I guess scholars have figured it out. I, I haven't seen where they have. But the point is, is months and months later, Judah finally steps up. Now, why didn't Judah step up in the beginning? This is a great type of somebody who God, through the Holy Spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, is dealing with a man or a woman to serve him, to do some kind of service. And Judah is running from that service, from that calling. There's some people that God has called, put a calling on their heart. And I don't know what that calling might be. Only you would know. And God's put a calling on their heart, and they run from that calling. And they might, have been, they might be running for months. They might be running for years. They might be running for decades. But God called them to a certain purpose, and that's the type of this. And Judah finally steps up and says, you know, it's time for me to, it's time for me to answer that calling. Now, Judah... Judah, it's obvious there in verse 13, take also your brother, take Benjamin, arise and go again unto the man. Judah is trusted by Jacob. Jacob trusts Judah. Again, I need to say it again. Your heavenly father knows you best. Jacob knows his kids best. He knows his sons best, better than anybody else. And he trusts Jacob, I mean, trusts Judah to do the right thing. So you're, I'm going to say it again again. Your testimony and your actions are everything in this life that God gives you. Judah has a good testimony. And if you don't turn there, but if you go and read Genesis 49, when, when uh, Jacob is prophesying his prophecy when he's laying on his deathbed over all his sons, Judah gets the biggest blessing. And he said, the scepter will never depart out of Judah. And Judah's going to be a lion's. And he's talking about Judah, Judah, Judah. You know why he talks about Judah? That's where Jesus Christ comes from. Right. <laughs> well, that's kind of coincidence. That's exactly where Jesus Christ comes from. Jesus Christ in Revelation is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This Judah is Jesus Christ's great, 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 great granddad. That's who Judah is. And notice... Notice Judas is a, Judah, excuse me, Judah is a great type of our Lord and Savior because it says in verse 9, I will be surety for him of my hand shalt thou require him. I'll take his place. I'll take his place. Well, let's look at that. Let's compare that quickly. Let's compare Reuben with Judah and what's going on here. So turn back to 42. Turn back to chapter 42, verse 37. It should be like on, the, on the, just the next page over. Let's look again at Reuben. Let's look again at, at old Reuben, what he does. So Jacob needs somebody. Jacob needs some corn and needs somebody. So Reuben says in verse 37, And Reuben spake unto his father. This is how Reuben says he's going to do it, saying, Slay my two sons if I bring him not to thee. Uh, he says, uh, If I don't bring back Benjamin, you can slay my two sons. You know the sons were sitting there looking at each other. Thanks, Dad. What did I ever do to you, Daddy? Reuben's willing to sacrifice everyone else, but not himself. Reuben is willing to sacrifice everyone else, but not himself. He's wishy-washy, and Jacob knows it. I'll go do this. I'll be, I want to get all the honor. I want to get all the glory, and uh, my sons will be the sacrifice. And you go back to Genesis chapter 43, verse 9, with Judah. And in verse 8, Judah said unto Israel, His father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. I will do it. Judah is saying, you know what? I will be the sacrifice. I'll sacrifice myself. 
So the difference between Reuben is Reuben wants to sacrifice everybody else. Judah says, I'll be the sacrifice. It's like I was saying about church service. You know, Easter Sunday, this place is cram-packed. The Sunday right after, there's no heart. You have, you have no problem finding a seat. There's somebody who's sacrificing themselves to keep this church open. And there's other people that let everybody else sacrifice themselves and then come in and try to get a little bit of the gleanings. Uh, Judah is a great type of our course of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the surety. Jesus Christ didn't come down, listen to me, Jesus Christ didn't come down to bring a sacrifice. Jesus Christ didn't come down on this earth to bring a sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Amen. Jesus Christ didn't come down and bring a lamb. Jesus Christ is the lamb that covers our sins. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. That's what makes Jesus Christ different than any other fake savior in the world. I know I hit this all the time, but people don't get this. They think that, well, it don't matter who you choose as a savior. It does matter because he's the one that gave himself. He provided himself. And Judah here is saying, I'll be the surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. Verse 15. Verse 15. And the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin... And rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So they all go down. All the brothers go down. So they all go down with Judah, but Judah's got responsibility for handling Benjamin, and it's up to Judah to take care of Benjamin. Verse 16, And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. When you bring the right man before God the Father, when you bring the right man before Joseph, he's going to show you grace and mercy. When you bring the right man before God the Father, that's Jesus Christ as the right man, God the Father is going to show you grace and mercy. You see how Joseph changed his tune? They come down, they don't have the right man, and Joseph's mean to him. he's despiteful to him. He throws them all in jail, and then he lets them all go but one. He's, he's not being nice to them at all, and they're afraid of him, and they don't want to go back. And they finally have to go back, and as soon as they bring the right man to him, he says, hey, go home, get everything ready. These people are going to come eat with me today. Amen. Yeah. When you get the right, when you take the right man with you into the presence of God the Father, you're going to get some grace and you're going to get some mercy. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that right man is Jesus Christ. Amen. It's Jesus Christ. He is that right man. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And verse 17, And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house, and the men were afraid. That's all the brothers. Because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, uh, because of the money that was t returned in our sacks at the first time when we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us, fall upon us, and take us for bondmen and our asses. He's saying, they're, 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 they're getting it, they're, everything's going great, nothing's wrong, but they're such sinners. They get in there, they think, he's out to get us, he's out to get us. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes we're such wicked sinners that it's hard for us to imagine that God's love is like it is. It's hard for us to wrap our mind at, around, being sinners that we are, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that God has that much love for us and that much grace for us. It, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of afraid, and it brings, brings a lot of fear in your heart. But don't be afraid. 
You got, you, you're coming into Joseph's presence with the right son, with the right person. Don't be afraid of God the Father. You're coming into him with the right person in Jesus Christ. We were studying that in Sunday school. It said that when you have Jesus Christ, you can come boldly to the throne of grace Amen. for help in time of need. Why can we come boldly to the throne of grace? We can come boldly. It's a throne of grace and not condemnation because we're coming to God the Father in the presence of Jesus Christ and his precious blood. Now, if you come to God the Father and without Jesus Christ, you're approaching the throne of condemnation. And I can tell you right now, good luck. Good luck. But when you come into the presence of God the Father and you've got his favorite son, Jesus Christ, on your right hand and you walk in with him, everything's going to be okay. The Bible says you're walking into a throne of grace. Because you got the Son. Because you got the Son. Let me say that one more time because I want you to meditate on what I just said. Because you've got the Son. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If I go home today and I go into my house and I see somebody at my refrigerator and they're digging in around my refrigerator and I don't even know who it is, and then I look over to the right on the couch and there's my son sitting, I'll be, hey, what are you doing? And everything's all right. I don't know who that friend of my son's is, but if he's a friend of my son's, he's a friend of mine. You're welcome to get in front. Get what you want. You want something to eat? I'd be so nice to him. But if I go home today and I walk in that house and I open up my door and there's a stranger getting into my refrigerator and I look on the couch and there's another stranger, you better get ready because Smith & Wesson's coming out. Amen. Condemnation. All because the wrong person was in there. Amen. Because my beloved son was not with you. You can be a stranger to me, but when you have my beloved son and you show up in my presence with my beloved son, everything's all right. You're, one of, you're a friend of mine. This is how it is with God the Father. When you show up to God the Father and you have Muhammad on your side, you're, there's two strangers walking into the presence of a king. It's not going to go good for you. But when you go to God the Father and to a king and you got his son on your right hand and his, this son turns to you and says, this is my friend. Amen. You got the right kid right there. You got the right son. I'm telling you. All this stuff's all through the Bible. All these types are all through the Bible. We're living this and God's given us families. That's why it's so important to God to have a father and a mother and to have this family and this society and these relationships because all of this teaches us how God has this relationship with us. And if we'll just sit down and meditate on how we, as fathers and mothers, how we treat our kids, we can see how God treats us and how He feels towards us. And if we can see how we've done our fathers and our earthly fathers wrong and how the things we, we, and we reverence them. And sometimes those are things that teach us how to treat our Heavenly Father. Amen. But with society we're living in today, people don't have fathers anymore. Sometimes people don't have mothers. Sometimes they're living with grandparents. And God never intended it to be that way. He doesn't want it that way. That breaks down the system that he's trying to get into your heart, that's trying to show you how, what's going on in a spiritual realm. All this stuff is set up for us to physically see what God's doing in a spiritual sense in our lives. And, it, and the devil's doing a good job of breaking it all down. Verse 19, oh, this is some good news right here, brothers and sisters. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house. And they commune with him at the door of the house. <laughs> that steward right there, that's the Holy Spirit. I'm about to show it to you. So they show up, and there's a steward of the Holy Spirit. The steward of the house is there at the door of the house, and he's there, and he opens the door. He says, y'all, come on in. We're making ready for you. Come on in. We got everything's ready for you. The steward of the house, 
The steward of the house, the steward of Joseph's house is the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and said, O sir, and this is what they said to him, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came, into, came to the end that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of a sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hands. So they're making excuses to the, to the steward of the house. They're saying, man, this is what's going on, and we're, we're, we're confused, but we've brought the money back, we've brought the money back. Verse 22, and other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And so they're making all these excuses to the uh, steward of the house. And look at what the steward, the Holy Spirit says in verse 23. And he, the steward, the Holy Spirit said, peace be to you, fear not. <laughs> Woo-wee. That's good stuff, brothers and sisters. When you have... The Holy Spirit, and you got this, you, you, you're approaching God, and you're like, well, I, I've done some bad stuff, man. I, I don't know if there's, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if God will save me. I don't know if Jesus, I mean, I, he only knew I've done some really, really evil stuff that nobody else has known about, and the Holy Spirit will be there, and he'll be speaking to your heart, and he'll be saying, peace. Don't be afraid. Amen. Don't be afraid. Peace. Everything, everything's going to be okay. Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your Father have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out to under them. Wow. Guys, this is when it all starts changing. This is when it all starts changing. This is when they start seeing. This is when God's hand starts working on them. And they've been afraid, and they've been living in their sin, and they haven't been repentant of their sin, and they're starting to get into that type of repentance where they're starting to say, you know, I can see God's hand moving. We've done some bad things. And I, I wish we wouldn't have done that to Joseph. And I heard him, and Reuben said, I heard him crying out, and I heard him being, he was afraid, and we still did what we did to him. And they're, they're just getting brokenhearted about their sin, and they're starting to repent. And now they're at a place where the Holy Spirit can deal with them and find Finally, they went to the presence of the right man, Joseph. They went to his presence with the right son, Amen. Jesus Christ. So now they're coming and everything's starting to click into place. And now they, they went to the right man, Joseph, the Savior of the world. And they went to him in the, in, with the right son, Jesus Christ. And they're going in and now things are starting to change for him. And now the steward, the Holy Spirit's coming in. He's going to say... Everything's all right, peace, don't worry about it. Everything, don't be afraid. We've got everything. I'm the one that's working in your life. I'm the one that did that. That's what he's saying. So you're seeing the Holy Spirit's taking credit for having, I, I look at it, and the God of your father had given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. I'm the one that's been doing this. So that shows you a man will have the Holy Spirit moving in his life and he not ever see it. Moving in his life, trying to bring him to salvation in Jesus Christ. Moving in his life to bring him to God the Father. I'd really think there's no man going to be, be able to stand at the judgment day before God and say, you didn't warn me, you didn't tell me, you didn't give me an opportunity. And God's going to show him how the Holy Spirit had been working in that man or woman's life all his life, doing different things, trying to bring them to God. God, and they kept stepping over it and stepping over it and stepping over it on their way to hell. Brother Ronnie was telling a story of a lady. The water was flooding and the water was getting up and the fire trucks were down there and the men with the fire trucks are down there. Siren, I mean, the, the lights running. They had barricades and this 30-year-old uh, woman drove up there. The firemen are yelling at her, stop, stop. And she drives around the firemen, drives around the fire trucks, drives around the barrier, gets into the water. Water goes up, car lifts up. She gets on top of her car. She waltzes away. Three days later, they found her. 
She went around men yelling at her. She went around sirens. She went around barricades. There's nothing more a person could do for somebody that wants to go that way. I don't, other than shooting their tires out, what else could you do? Now, whose fault was that? When you stand before God, God's going to show you, I put a man in front of you. I put a woman in front of you. They told you about me. They warned you about me. I put my word in front of you. I put signs in front of you. The Holy Spirit worked on your heart. He did all of this, and you went over and around and stepped over, and you're doing everything you can to get to hell. And that's where you're going to go. There's nobody to have an excuse before God. The Holy Spirit's working on them. Look at verse 24. The steward and the man brought the men unto Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet. And he gave their asses provender. The Holy Spirit is getting you ready. The Holy Spirit there in verse 25, this steward is getting them ready to meet the king. This steward's getting them ready to meet the king of Egypt. This steward is getting them ready. He's washing them. He's cleansing them. He's getting them ready. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He washes us. He cleanses us. He's getting us ready to stand in presence of the king. And finally in verse 25, and they made ready. The present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard, they heard that they should eat bread there. And that steward said, I'm washing you, I'm cleaning you, I'm getting all your stuff ready, because you're about to meet the king. And they made ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your king? Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? For they heard that he should, that they should eat bread there. He is coming. He is coming. Our Savior is coming. And if you're ready for him or not, he's going to show up. And if you allow it, the Holy Spirit will clean you up. He'll get you cleansed and wash your feet. He'll do this stuff for you. He'll give you some peace. He'll tell you not to be afraid. He'll get you ready for your Savior to come in. And man, it'll be a wonderful reunion. You're, we're going to get, when we get to this, it's going to be, it's, it makes me cry every time. I don't like to preach it because I know I'm going to cry. Because it's so beautiful when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. It's just beautiful. And it's going to be a beautiful day when my Savior... I finally get to meet him, and he reveals himself. And we're at a dinner table, and the Holy Spirit's cleaned me and washed me, and I'm there at him, and here comes my Savior coming in to eat with me. Man, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But boy, my Savior is. My Savior. Don't go to hell. Whatever you do, don't be like, I, I know I preached hard on atheists earlier in this sermon, but don't be one of them. Don't pull, the, don't pull whatever it is over the cover of your eyes, thinking God, you can't see God, so therefore He can't see you. Don't fool yourself like a little kid. Your heart tells you the truth. Your heart tells you the truth. Your mind is trying to fool you, but your heart tells you the truth. Don't step over barricade after barricade, Firemen, fire trucks to get down into the water of hell and be washed away and lose your life. I'm another barricade you're going to have to go around because I'm here to tell you this morning. I'm another barricade. I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. Jesus Christ will save you. Jesus Christ wants to save you. You don't have to do anything. Just, just bow your head and ask him the best way you know how as a sinner that you want to be saved and he'll save you. Come by faith, believing that he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and on the third day he rose again. If you come to him like that, he'll save you. Now, I give you the gospel. You can go around me. And keep on going if you want and go on to hell. Or you can stop here with me and become a brother or sister in Christ with me. And then you can start a new way 
on a journey to heaven. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you for these stories you give us in your book, Lord God. These true stories of how men and women have dealt with you, Lord, through the ages. And Father, I just thank you for the story of Joseph, Lord, and all these great types. And Father, I just pray that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that can't think of a time that they've, they've exceeded Him as their Lord and Savior, Father, I just pray that they would not go around this barricade, Lord, that they'd come up and, Lord, they'd turn around and turn towards Jesus and get saved, Lord. And I thank you. Thank you for these people, Lord God. They're so faithful to you in this church, Lord God. And some of them, they deal with so many serious health issues, Lord, but they still find a way. They find a way to serve you, to come up here, Lord God, and to tithe, to make sure the electricity is on and the doors are open. And, Lord, they try to just be faithful to singing songs to you, Lord God, to handing out tracts, Lord. And Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that there's still some, some uh, people, Lord God, that haven't bent the knee to bail. Lord, I thank you for that. And thank you, Lord, for loving me and loving these people, Lord God, and being so good to us. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now it's an amazing verse of course talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.